you're behind to the Chiefs in the fourth quarter and willingly giving them the ball when your defense has just not been able to stop them for the, the whole second half. So like you, I didn't think that much of, of the punt when it happened, but then after seeing what the model said and then thinking about the position that they put themselves in, like you, you have to stop the Chiefs at some point and try to um, basically score a touchdown every time your team has the ball and they, they just never got the stop that they needed to. Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Joining me today on the pod, a frequent guest, somewhat frequent guest, Ben Baldwin. You all know him on Twitter, riling up uh, Packers fans, lamenting everything going on with the Seahawks. And more importantly, probably one of the most impactful people when it comes to sports analytics um football analytics you know ever honestly the work that he has done and a bunch of others uh sebastian tan a bunch of other guys have done working on the nfl verse making all of that data free and available to everyone i talk about it somewhat at the end of our conversation here just amazing stuff i mean i'm using all the stuff and all the stuff that i'm doing on the Substack, which you should subscribe to of course unexpectedpoints.substack.com i'm using all that stuff and i don't know where i would be without it quite honestly um, not only a lot of data out there, but just so, so easy to use. We talk a little bit at the end of the episode about how to access all that stuff and to use it here. But what we primarily talk about in this episode, do a little recap on the Super Bowl from a nerd's perspective, talking a lot about the decision-making, whether it's on fourth down, whether it's whether to, to go for two or not at the end of the game, how to play clock management, things like that, our disappointment or lack thereof in... um what the coach's decisions were in this game. So we discuss all that in a lot of detail. Then we talk about the Chiefs and the Eagles moving on this offseason, how they should be looking at things. And then lastly, talking about his beloved Seahawks, Geno Smith, contract, all that stuff, how they should be approaching things in the offseason. Follow Ben on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore, and go to my Substack. You know, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Get a subscription there. You can get a free sub for a week. And if you cannot afford it, go ahead, shoot me a note uh, through various platforms, and I will comp you a free, no questions asked, six-month sub to all premium content. All right, everybody. Let's get to the podcast here, and here is Ben Baldwin. All right, Ben, welcome to the pod. It's been a little while, I think, since I've had you on here. We'll talk a little bit about an exercise that we did in the past about front offices and everything else, but it's really going to be in relation to what we just saw in the Super Bowl. So we're going to talk Super Bowl. We're going to talk some game. We're going to grind some film on here. Are you ready, Ben? I'm ready. Okay, good, good. Um, okay, so first off, let's let's talk about some news stuff first. Uh, there's not like huge news out here, but maybe we can at least address what we saw this morning. Uh, Shane Steichen, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I should probably know that better. Uh, is now going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, the former offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then we also got some more minor news about Jim Caldwell joining the staff of the Panthers, where they're bringing in a lot of uh, a lot of gray hairs over there at, at the Panthers going on. You have any initial takes on Steichen as the hire here for the Colts? 
Yeah, I think it's a perfectly reasonable hire. Um, he's he's probably gotten the most out of the offenses he's coached. Um, hasn't failed anywhere and is young and so probably has upside. I know you have research that shows that like maybe there's an edge in hiring uh, people that have coached before and gotten, like we have seen them succeed uh, in the past. So maybe you'll have a different take on that. But if I were a Colts fan, I, I would be pretty happy with um, how they did this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm most happy with the fact that it's not Jeff Saturday. Yeah, not yep. not that I have anything against him. Not that I even know with with any degree of certainty whether or not Saturday would be a good coach. Not that I care that they you know they won their first game with Saturday and then just fell apart down the stretch. Like none of that stuff really matters. It's more. It, it just smells like pretty bad process to have someone who the owner Jim Irsay seems to just really like and respect and have a lot of admiration for as a player um, to then elevate him into this head coaching role after having, I think it was one season of high school football coaching experience and nothing else there. It just, it just, you know, this is highly variable, highly un, you know, low degree of confidence for a lot of these different opinions, but, I think directionally that would have been a poor hire. And I also think it would have said something about the position and influence of Chris Ballard, where we're not inside of these buildings, but at least it appears, and it's been reported, I believe by uh, Zach Kiefer and maybe some other people over at the, F F at the athletic that if you look at like major decisions that have been made over the course of the last 18 months, number one, getting rid of Carson Wentz, where I don't think that's a bad decision to get rid of Wentz necessarily, but it sounds like Irsay was 100% putting his foot down to go to go and do that. So then, so that was executed quickly. Um, benching Matt Ryan seems to have been an ownership decision, more so than a coach or GM decision. The initial time that, you know, the, obviously there's like, he was in, he was out, he was in, he's out. But at the point in time when he was benched, I think they were a 500 record and it wasn't like they were out of that division by any means at that point in time. So that happened. And then lastly was firing Frank Reich and bringing in Saturday, at least from the press conference that I heard there, it just had strong hints that Ballard was almost trying to talk Irsay out of doing it, but he couldn't, he couldn't do that as part of his decision. So the fact that the Steichen is coming in, maybe that's a good sign that that Ballard and I think Ballard will be a better decision maker than Jim Irsay going forward still has and still retains some power in the organization. Yeah, I, I guess that's the hope. And it's interesting, the, the parallels between the Steichen hire and the Reich hire, where um, I, I'm sure a million people have noticed this before. I, I haven't had a chance to read any news yet, but like they, they both came from the Eagles after a very successful season. And I, I think Frank Reich is, um, like you said, there's a lot of uncertainty in coaches, but I, I think we can probably be fairly certain that Frank Reich is at least a above average NFL coach. And he probably got a raw deal in Indianapolis where... <clears throat> He had a season of Andrew Luck and then very little to work with after that. And I think if if and when he gets a job elsewhere, I, I think he should probably be pretty successful. And uh, we'll see if, if the same ends up being true of uh, Steichen coming in. Yeah, yeah, I think Reich is going to be successful in uh, for Carolina. So we'll we'll see if that if, if that ends up being the case. Yeah, again, it's it's probably there are a lot of traits displayed by. Uh, Steichen that fall into what's good about being a head coach. It's just being a good offensive coordinator and being a good head coach are two very, very different things. I think maybe 
you just have being part of the Eagles organization and everything they have there. There's obviously a big influence for coaches on meeting with the research and development people, the, you know, assistant GM now over with the Eagles, uh, whose name is escaping me right now, but he's been around there forever. And he's kind of like the research guy who grew up through that, that organization um, right there. So heavy influence there, Howie Roseman, everything. So, so, you know, that, that kind of seeps in and is probably at the very least is going to tilt uh, the members of the organization to be a little bit more friendly to what they're doing there. And also, you, you know, he saw the success firsthand with what Sirianni was doing with his decision-making in uh in the season maybe not necessarily in the super bowl for one for one instance during during the season we'll talk about that a little bit going forward so hopefully that'll be good there you have any opinion on caldwell i don't know if we even really need to talk about it i thought it was interesting that he's back in the mix after having been like the preferred uh rooney rule uh interview for quite a number of years there without ever landing a head coaching job again but i'm not sure if it really changes any way that i view the carolina panthers going forward yeah, I'm with you on that. It's hard enough to evaluate head coaches, but people who are going to be coming in who are not head coaches, it, it's so hard to know how much influence they have in one direction or another. So, yeah, I, I also do not have strong opinions. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not really, you know, whether the game is passed, people buy, all that sort of stuff. I, I don't really know about any of that. But um, obviously they're bringing in him and Don Capers is bringing in some, 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 some older guys there who can maybe bring a lot of experience with them. So hopefully that'll be... Different, obviously, than what we saw as far as NFL experience and coaching experience, at least uh, head coaching experience, at least when it came with Matt Rule. So hopefully they're not like zagging a little too much after having the issues with Rule. You don't want to just go and do the exact opposite there and and go the opposite way. But I do have faith in Frank Reich there uh, being the head of the organization. All right, let's talk Super Bowl. Um, Enjoyable game, uh, except for the people, RIP, people who love defense. (laughs) uh that that contingent out there because that was not happening in this game here uh but let's talk about some of these fourth down calls because we might as well get into the nerd shit immediately here and for me going into this game we all said that the eagles were going to have the advantage because we know andy reed we know we love andy reed um, we also know that he's just not going to lean into the opportunities that he potentially has there once in this game, not doing so. But we thought Sirianni would be on the opposite side. So let's let's maybe talk about the one decision because there were a lot. So at least there weren't that many opportunities where Reed passed up uh, going for it. Um, yep. Mahomes is really good at probably not even not even getting to third down, not even <laughs> having the ball a lot. So I guess that helps too. Uh, but there was the one field goal from what was it, the 24-yard line, something like that, yes. that they ended up missing there. You tweeted about this, and I, I kind of fall into the same line with you, where it's in that zone where you're not close enough to the end zone to necessarily – a conversion doesn't make a touchdown extremely probable like it would from inside the 10-yard line. And at the same point in time, you're not far enough away to really lower the you know drastic, drastic uh, exponential – decline of field goal percentage once you start to get out beyond let's say 45 50 yards on the field goal you're still in that good field goal range there with about a 40 yard field goal so it's not the worst decision there is that how you viewed it i know it's what the model said do you have any critiques of what a model may say in this instance versus how you should execute it in the game nope i think that's that's exactly right and it's for this one it's not just my model i'm pretty sure this is also true of the the old new york times spot which was based on 
Brian Burke's old model, as well as the new ESPN model, which is Brian Burke's new model and my model. And th this is the one, the one place on the field. And it's also kind of unique to being exactly fourth and three. So if it's fourth and three around the top of the red zone, um, that is like the one place where you should sort of feel comfortable kicking a field goal on fourth and three. And that there's most places on the field, that's not true, but it's the combination of the um, conversion percent being relatively low if you do go for it. So this model said it was, it was close to 50, 50, where for the field goal attempt, it was more like five out of six, 84%. Um, and yes, I know, I know the field goal is missed and I know that their field goal kicker has been having issues. So if you want to do, like you could make some little adjustments and maybe it would be a little bit stronger lean to go for it. And I don't have a problem with people saying that, yeah, it, Andy, it's a Super Bowl. Andy Reid should trust Patrick Mahomes more than Harrison Bucker, but it, it's not like it was a, a very strong, obvious error like um, the last Philadelphia one that we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I mean, those types of arguments anyway, you're like, right, you should trust. There we go. You know, you won the argument there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is better than Harrison Butker. Okay, let's talk about like how you can think about adjusting the model. Cause I think this is important. This is always going to be the biggest critique, right? Of any model based thing. And again, you probably get more critiques on this in a lot of ways that they should from the other side, that they should have gone for it because it's Eagle side of the field. It's chiefs offense, um, mm -hmm. at least amongst a certain subset of people who I say are analytically friendly, but maybe haven't, had as much um, experience digging into like all the evidence and knowing all the ins and outs, like they are actually going to be different than what we would complain about for people, right? We complain about people leaning towards conservatism. I think in this, in this way, if you were going to pull the media and analysts and other people who are more numbers friendly types, they would probably lean further towards going for it than a model would say in this circumstance. Um, do you think there's anything missing from the model that goes into their calculus, probably primarily being the Kansas City Chiefs' ability to convert from beyond fourth and short? Yeah, so I think there's there's two things here, and they would both push towards going for it. Number one is I don't have kicker ability in my model, and that's because for the most part, all kickers are basically the same except for Justin Tucker. So I've like in my mind, I've thought about maybe I should put like the Ravens had the ball into the model and just let field goal kicking be adjusted that way. But is Tucker or something binary yeah. Uh, variable? Yeah. I mean, it's not just like there isn't a big difference in skill. It's that we don't, we don't have any confidence of based upon yeah. the evidence, whether there is a predictive difference in skill going forward. Um, you know, a couple yeah. of misses here, a couple of misses there, a couple of makes there can, can make a huge difference as far as like the rank ordering of kickers and how well they perform so far in their careers. Yeah. And I, I think so. So that's the reason there is no kicking strength in the model. I think in this case, if we did do it and put maybe more weight on recent performance, then we really would have a, a lower probability of make for Harrison Bunker and, maybe this would change the field goal probability from like, I don't know, 84% to 80% or something like that. And that, that would be a small nudge towards um, going for it. And then the other one is like you said, the chiefs offense where um, there's not a huge sample size of, of fourth downs for any team, but if we used performance on third downs as a kind of estimate for how we might expect a team to do on fourth downs, if, one thing we know about Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs is that they have been incredible on third downs throughout the course of his career. So Again, if we put a team-specific estimate into this and um, 
estimated our, our, our success probability, maybe instead of 54%, it would be 60% or something like that. And that yeah. if you did those two together, the model would say instead of, so this had going forward is 0 0.9 percentage points higher. I think ESPNs was like 1.1 percentage points. So it's 1% 1, 1 better going for it. If, if we made those two small adjustments that kind of um, are consistent with how the football guys and other viewers would see the game, that would, maybe that would push us towards a 2% advantage for going for it. And then it becomes more clear that they really shouldn't have kicked that field goal. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I agree with that. I think it's what's what's nice about Andy Reid not thinking about going for it on fourth down is that when it's third and five, you know, they're trying to convert. They're not trying yep, to get it to yep. fourth and one. So, yep. so we can use that. We there's I mean, there's very few teams, the Eagles being one of them, where you actually might have to think about, oh, you know what, on third down and five, they're not necessarily trying to to convert. Yep. Um, they actually have a a you know a contingency plan uh, uh ready to go if they don't make it there and are thinking about that um okay the one other thing that that i think is interesting and this is another one this is going to fall more into things that can dissuade coaches normally from doing the aggressive thing but it's like a game specific sort of thing you know the the, the quote-unquote my 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 left guard is getting killed sort of, <laughs> sort of equation but this is a little bit different which is you didn't okay i don't it was pretty early in the game when this happened but if it happened late in the game, if this was like a game-winning field goal type of situation versus going for it from a little bit further out, I might have actually thought about how to incorporate the fact that players are slipping on the field. And yeah. we even saw on a kickoff, I believe it was Jake Elliott, I don't think it was Butker, we saw him slip and go down on, on the kick. Do you think that's something that should be incorporated or is it one of those things like most things are that if we try to incorporate it, we're probably making our decision worse. Yeah. So I think it would be hard to incorporate early in the game, but if it were later in the game, you could build into a model, something like how successful both offenses have been to this point, And then use that as like kind of a minor adjustment for like, if it's a quote unquote toss up situation like this, nudging you in, in one direction or, or the other. But if, yeah, if you see that neither team has really been able to stop the other, then the value of a field goal is going to be le relatively less relative to the value of possession and, and the possible chance to score a touchdown. Well, what about even the probability of the kicker like like not being able to plant properly? Yeah, uh, yeah. That, so that yeah, that's that that one's probably impossible to quantify. So that that yeah. one, you're that's that's really a gut decision, <laughs> wild guess. Yeah, well, I want to think about this a little bit though, because I think this is interesting. You know, they don't have like they're not whipping out their their laptop and like rerunning <laughs> models during the yep, course yep. of games to incorporate these sorts of things, right? Yeah, I don't know what those surfaces, what they're doing with those Microsoft surfaces, other than if you're Aaron Rodgers, you know, slamming it down when you don't like what you're seeing there. But you don't. I mean, you have probably scenarios, a bunch of different scenarios played out on there. Um, maybe you even have some kind of color coordinated you know map of the field where you're going for it or not based upon how many yards to go something easy and intuitive to be able to reference um i should probably ask some of those dudes what, what exactly they're looking at there but that would be another question like how do you make an in-game adjustment for something like that how would you think about making an in-game adjustment for something like that is it just back of the envelope you're taking um you're taking the, the the input of success rate on the field goal and you're just like, yeah, I'll just take it down a couple of percent and then see how back of the envelope that would affect things. I'm guessing it would be even more crude than that where you have, um, like based on the area of the field, 
score differential and yards to go, you have like green, yellow, red or something like that. Yeah. And it, it's not like you're giving percentage chances to the coaches, I, I would imagine. So maybe, so maybe the way you would approach this is if a decision was yellow or a toss up or however you want to call it, maybe instead of treating it like a toss up, you say, okay, th- this was a situation where going into the game, we thought we would be happy either way, but because of X factor that we observed, maybe this should nudge us in one direction more than another. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that again. But I think the danger in that, though, is if you set that precedent, then like every single game, your coaches like toss ups were not, <laughs> were not yeah, yeah, yeah. because of X reason or Y reason or everything. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you have to have like faith that you're going to be getting the right response also um, from the coaches. And they're going to kind of be locked into to what they're doing there. And speaking of that, OK, I think the real important decision that that we're talking about here is the Eagles. With 10 minutes in, I think it was 30 seconds left in the game, down by one at this point. So they were up by six. Kansas City scored, down by one. They had the ball on, I should have this in my access, but it was like they're on 30-something yard line. And it was fourth and three. Yeah, fourth and three at their 32. At their 32. Okay, so fourth and three at their 32. Now, this is the decision, right? Because as much praise as you want to heap on Sirianni, and I do think he gives you like an incremental benefit on the margins, um, or maybe even a little bit more than that, versus other coaches. The the times that the Eagles had gone for it prior to this, um, one was a fourth and five in the dead zone, you know, on Kansas City side of the field, but too far for a field goal. So it's kind of like... By the by, the the numbers, it's like a no brainer. Plus, you're on the Kansas City side of the field. They did another time on the Kansas City side of the field. They they got a uh, a offsides call um, well within Kansas City side of the field too on a fourth and two. Yeah, those so were we, the we same, had, same drive. Those those two were the yeah the yeah. Same so, drive, so, yeah. So 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 what you know these are ones where yeah maybe there are some coaches who wouldn't have done it in those circumstances, but. I don't think there would be as much risk from a criticism slash. And I I always talk about regret aversion. I think that's a big thing. It's not just risk aversion. I think it's whether or not these coaches will regret what they, their decision that they had made. Um, This would have been a big regret decision if it didn't go well. Uh, And they lost the game at that point because of the fact that it would have been like the storyline after the game, even if, it wasn't necessarily the reason that they that they lost it, uh, but it was a significant gain going forward in this circumstance. W- w- what did you think about everything that that went down there? And I was a little bit surprised by the fact that there weren't that many people necessarily even talking about it at that point in time. At yeah. least that I I was trying to stay off of Twitter, but from what I saw on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. So before that one, I actually disagree a little bit about the earlier decisions. I think there are so many coaches who would not have treated. Um, so this was one of the last drives before halftime. So I think Philadelphia had third and six at the Kansas City 45. Call the run play because they knew they were in four down territory, which I think oh, yeah, their third down got. decisioning, their third <laughs> down decisioning, including the one that led to the fumble, <laughs> fumble six, was probably much different than what others would have been because they knew they had fourth down. I, I definitely agree with that. And then they only got one yard on that play, which left them with fourth and five at the Kansas City 44. And 
yes, I'm a Seahawks fan, so there's definitely a bias there. But I think there are so many coaches that would have punted in that situation. True. Um, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I'm just saying you're not going to get pillared as much, I don't think, for sure. in, that, yeah. in that circumstance. Okay. And then the next, so the next one, tie game, three minutes left in the first half, fourth and two. I I think since it wasn't a fourth and one, that it was also not like yes, they should have gone for it. My model said there was a five percentage point advantage with going for it, but I again, I, I think there are so many teams that would have kicked a field goal there. We, we've seen the Bills do that against the Chiefs in the playoffs, where right? they they've been amazing on fourth downs during the regular season. They get to a playoff game against the Chiefs, and then every time they have a chance to kick a field goal, they kick a field goal. So right, I, it was I it think, was two yards. It was also in that area where <laughs> it was not you know the the two yard line they weren't two yards away yep, from scoring yep, and yep. it was at a very very high field goal percentage area so it was it was it wasn't analogous to the the chief's decision it was more of a go for it but it was it, there were some similarities there yep so uh so i say all that to say that's why it's so disappointing that they messed it up later in the game and it it's a lot harder to go for this because yeah it's, it's a fourth and three at your own 32 in the fourth quarter of a super bowl so yeah, I, I totally emphasize with freezing up or making the safe play or whatever, but it's that plus the combination of I haven't, I haven't watched the coaches film of this yet, but it looked on like on the third down play they were trying to set up a shot like they they called a pass play it was third and two there were no routes that I could see on the broadcast screen so if you're going to do that then you would think that you would do that in my, with going for fourth down in mind so that that's kind of the first inconsistency and then the second is that. You're behind to the Chiefs in the fourth quarter and willingly giving them the ball when your defense has just not been able to stop them for the whole, the whole second half. So, yeah, I I didn't even think, like you, I didn't think that much of, of the punt when it happened, but then after seeing what the model said and then thinking about the position that they put themselves in, like you, you have to stop the Chiefs at some point and try to... Um, basically score a touchdown every time your team has the ball and they, they just never got the stop that they needed to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the underappreciated thing that maybe drives the numbers a little bit further towards going for it than even I would have uh, anticipated, because it was more in the like clear you should go for it type of type yep. of category than yep. the than the coin flippish uh, you know field goal that that the Chiefs did earlier. I think it's really thinking about how the the range of scenarios when it in terms of possessions yep, going yep. forward the number of possessions for each team going forward like you look at the clock and you say 10 minutes and 33 seconds left to go that's almost a full quarter and this and that but once you get within a quarter and you are seeding the first possession to the other team there's just an overwhelming number, uh, well, not an overwhelming, but a, a pretty strong majority type of number of scenarios where, you know, at best you're getting the same number of possessions as the other team, already down by one also. So you're already down by one. It's not a tie. You're, you're not, you're not, the same number of possessions means you still have to do something even better than your opponent. Um, and then the opponent having more possessions is a very significant number in with an offense for the Chiefs, it's going to average, I don't know, four points per, per possession or something like that. And I think that's what really makes the difference is we think about that and we don't realize, you know what, there's just so many different scenarios here where the Eagles only have one more possession for the rest of this yep. game and the Chiefs have two. That's twice as as much opportunity. And it's just an overwhelming number. Yeah, and they're, 
because they were behind, if, if the Chiefs scored a touchdown, which, which is what happened, and they had scored touchdowns on the prior two drives, and then obviously the punt return didn't help, but scored a touchdown again. There, Once you're down by eight points, you need so many things to go right from that point to have a chance. And they, they got a lot of those things that they needed, but they needed score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion, um, stop the Chiefs with enough time to get the ball back, and then either match what the Chiefs did and win in overtime or beat what the Chiefs did. And that's just so many more things that have to go right rather than putting the ball in the hands of our very good offense on a fourth and three where we have the chance to actually take the lead in this game. Yeah, yeah. And and fourth and three conversion rate, again, if I was going to make a team-specific conversion rate, uh, I don't know. The Eagles might even be higher than the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs would be higher once we get out to like five, six, seven, eight yards, something like that. But that's like right in the wheelhouse for for, yep, for that yep. offense also, I think, um, oh, and the, yeah. the way that they operate. And, I mean, we just know from history that, like, quarterback rushes are, are really, really good for two-point conversions and things like that. So we're talking about a little bit more than a two-point conversion. And we saw that with Jalen Hurts later yep, yep. and his ability to, to convert that, the, that two-pointer. Let's talk about the the Chiefs' decision to kick – the field goal. I mean, kick the extra point after their touchdown. Now, I, I did not think there was any chance Andy Reid would do it, but I'm always a little bit surprised by people's reaction because I feel like people's confidence in what you should be doing with two pointers is like way too high, <laughs> or, oh, yeah, or, yeah. or they're way too adamant <laughs> about it um, versus some fourth downs where you're gaining three, four, five, six times the win probability that people are not that that, that big of a of a of a lean on it. But as long as there's even the slightest bit of incremental win probability gain in people's minds on a two point conversion, they're like, I can't believe you're not doing this sort of situation. <laughs> what did you think about that? Uh, their choice where the chiefs, everyone wants to kind of like seal the game. And again, I think it might be a little bit of a regret aversion sort of thing. Like if you, if you, if you go for the two and miss and the other team comes down and scores and then they're going to kick the one with that much time left, right? Mm-hmm. You have a tie game. You can still play it out. You know, you go forwards. You don't feel that bad. Um, but if you don't go for it and then you're like, oh, man, we could have we killed them. Like we had our chance to put the death blow and we didn't do it. Like maybe there's more regret in feeling that. I, I don't know how to parse it out. Yeah, definitely agree about the, the relative magnitude of the two-point versus four-point. Like if it's not a, a situation near the end of the game where you're down by two or up by one or something like that, where the going for two is very, very obvious, then the magnitude of a two point decision is going to be like at most one percentage point or something like that. And we see fourth down errors bigger than that all the time and nobody blinks an eye, but yeah, there are people just have very strong feelings about two point, two point conversions for one reason or another. Regarding do you, the have actual, a, do you have a feeling about this specific, uh, what, what the Chiefs should have done there, even if it was marginal? So my, I think my model said kicking the extra point was right by like one percentage point. And I think ESPN's model said to go for it by something less than a percentage point. But I think we can be pretty confident that, that the bounds are between one and negative one percentage point for um, the kicking the extra point decision. Yeah, yeah. At, at the I time... Thinking- Go ahead. Go ahead. At, at the time, I was okay with kicking, but then after thinking about it more and incorporating some hindsight bias, seeing what, what had happened, I, I think that the advantage of, like we just discussed with the Eagles and converting short distances, the advantage of being up by eight against the Eagles probably isn't as much as it would be against another team where they're, because of Hurts and his rushing threat, they, they probably are 
legitimately a tier above um, at converting two-point conversions. And, and we, we can probably say that about the Chiefs too, where they're, uh, the benefit of going for two for them is associated with both the Chiefs' likelihood of conversion and the Eagles' likelihood of conversion. And both of those are pretty high. So if, if you put that together and say they should have gone for two, then I, I can't argue against that, even though my model would disagree very, very, very slightly. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I was, I was thinking about it more afterwards also. And you're right. It's like both... You're, it's not, you're not weighing your conversion rate versus the other team's conversion rate and who's better or not. It's actually directionally both of them. If you feel like you're better than the average, that means you should go for it because you're giving your opportunity, your team an opportunity to go for it. And then if you get it or don't get it, you're taking their teams yep, yep. two off of the board because yep. they're either going to kick a one uh, to tie it. At least they should, um, unless there's like no time left and there's plenty of time left in this game. Uh, or if you were up by nine, uh, they should still kick the one to be down by two and then try to win it and then win it eventually for field goal. Being down by one versus being down by two is not going to help them a ton unless they're thinking about, well, if we give up another touchdown, then what will happen? I guess there's some scenarios. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. I don't think you go for it there um, because you, you you put yourself in a bad spot uh, really going forward. But I guess there's some possibility that they'll go for it there. But at least in one scenario, the scenario where you don't make it, you take their two-point conversion off of the board. Yep. Yeah, the, the mathematical expression um, – under the assumption that there's only this this Chiefs touchdown and the Eagles score, score touchdown, if those are the only scores left in the game, then it, I think it's like the sum of the two point conversion probabilities has to be higher than the PAT probability or something like that. And I, I think we could be fairly confident that that would be the case in this game. Yeah, yeah, I think that one's uh, <clears throat> that one's. I mean, not a no brainer, but that one's definitely. I definitely would be confident in that one, even without you know lowering anything for. Um, for the the kickers or anything like that. Uh, any anything else that stood out to you as far as a decision making here? There were some calls, and I think it would have been, again, I think it would have been one of these things where I don't know what sort of win probability gain you're getting off of, but there were some calls to quote unquote let them score before they before the chief at the end of the game here. So this is the Chiefs' last possession. Um. I guess it would – I'm trying to think of when it was. I guess it would have been would, – would have been right on first down, people were saying, to let them score, or was it on second down? I, I don't remember. But all I remember is on first down, you know, the Chiefs only got a couple of yards. Yep. Um, that was right so, before the two-minute warning, yeah. Before the two-minute warning. And I don't know, like – again, I think that was another one. Maybe this is similar to the two-point conversion thing. I think people are pr- maybe a little bit too confident – that the Chiefs were just going to score a touchdown. Like, they were going to score a touchdown anyway, no matter what. So, therefore, just let them do it now and have as much time as possible. I wasn't as – I wouldn't have said let them score unless they got into, like, a second-and-one type of situation or something like that. Yeah, I – so, I think my – if I remember correctly, my let them score was – so, at the two-minute warning, it was second-and-eight. The Eagles still had two timeouts. So – yes. My my take was, if the Chiefs get a first down, let them score on that play, but not yes. in, intentionally let them score without um, giving any resistance. Because if they had stopped them on that third down, it would be, well, especially since they threw on third down, it, there would have been 
basically two minutes left with the Eagles having a timeout and just needing a field goal, which is like that, that's a pretty good situation given given the state that they started that series on. So I I would I would not have gone into that like the second down or third down play saying we're going to let them score no matter what, but we would much rather let them score than um, have a first down without. Scoring. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and then. Play calling, I, I didn't love the second and eight play from the Chiefs because I don't remember if it was Juju or, or – yeah, it probably Juju. was Juju. Yep. It was like a screen. It was like a wide receiver screen. So it was let's make sure we're running clock. Like it's sec- it was a secondary notion to get the first down. And, it's, and it, But, I mean, more of a prime – I mean, higher a higher probability than a run, I guess. Um but as an inside screen, too, it wasn't really a, a, a wide screen. Maybe, I don't know why, maybe purposely to make the pass shorter to make sure that it's more likely that it's caught and it's you don't you don't grind clock there. I wasn't in love with that, I guess. I guess if I were the Chiefs, I would have said, let's give Mahomes two chances to convert here, um, better chances to convert there. And, okay, lastly, though, we, we got to get to the, the holding call because I think we're, we're in a little bit of disagreement maybe with – with, with, with what's going on with with the holding call here why don't you give me your case for for, for or give me your overall uh, uh, feeling on this on this holding call which has become a big storyline although i think like a lot of times for these things i think it's going to fade away and it's really just going to be maybe an eagles fan talking point a year or two from now but i don't think anyone's really going to think about it in the future yeah so i i think it's in some ways, it's kind of similar to the um, the late hit on Mahomes in the Bengals game, where nobody should blame the official for throwing the flag. They saw a flag. As someone who did not care in any way who won the game, it's a disappointing way for the game to end because you're uh, in the in the Bengals game. The, that that game probably would have gone to overtime, which would would be great because there's more football. In the Eagles game, we were deprived of the chance to see what the Eagles could do to respond. So I think so far there's, there's no disagreement there. There. No, no, no disagreement. Although I I might've been more, I might've been more pro Kansas city in both circumstances, definitely against the Bengals. I could not take a Joe Burrow, uh, (laughs) Burrow head. I could not take that going forward. Yeah. So, so I think part of the reason like you and Timo are so upset about people complaining about the officials is because you guys were rooting really hard for the Chiefs. But <laughs> that might have been who... part of it, but it's part of my thing. I always do, I, I defend the, the the officials a lot because it annoys me. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but for, for somebody who like I don't care if the Chiefs win or not. I, I just wanted to see an exciting finish and we did not get that finish. Yeah. Um I think the difference between the Bengals game where like there's 100% no doubt that that flag should have been thrown and the Eagles game was like I, I can't blame the official for throwing the flag but when you watch that play yes the jersey was grabbed but it's not he didn't look very restricted which is like uh <laughs> we're getting into degrees of restriction but there's a lot of defensive holding calls where like you see the jersey tug and you see the defender moving or being turned or restricted in some way and that definitely didn't happen. And if the flag had not been thrown, we would never have thought about that. We, we wouldn't have even, even known there was a holding because it took them like five angles of finally finding the, the jersey tug and they wouldn't have even bothered. They would have said, okay, here's the receiver. Mahomes missed the pass because it was 10 yards in front of the receiver. It didn't affect the play, maybe. And that, that's why the flag was thrown. But again, the, the official saw a jersey tug and he threw a flag. So 
nobody can blame the official for doing that. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is, I mean, this is these are other layers where I'll have to. I don't have all the. I haven't. I haven't. You know, I haven't been grinding the all twenty two on this to get all the different uh, angles. But I've, I've heard or seen some people looking at it where it seems like there are a couple different things going on, which makes this interesting. And I think maybe this is probably the one of the more interesting angles of it is kind of like, what do we what do we want officials really to do? So. Number one was that supposedly the flag was not thrown until later. Like it wasn't an immediately thrown, like it was thrown after the ball came down. So there might've been some instance of like, oh, well this actually affected the guy who was being targeted on the play, so which if, if you look at my timeline, I, I just, right before we started recording, I, I, um, I tweeted the all 22. If, if you want to see the official and when he throws the flag, <laughs> Well, why don't you tell uh, me when does he when does he throw the flag? So it's like it is late. So okay, okay. so I'm watching. So Mahomes drops back. He throws the ball goes over his head, and the the ball lands on the ground the same time that the penalty flag does. Which for a defensive holding and not pass interference, that is pretty late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that seems late to me. I mean, I'd have to again. I'd have to go in grind some more film just to see how long it actually yeah. takes these so guys they, on average they, to throw the it. The official sees the ball going over the receiver's head and then throws the flag. Because, because I, I don't know. I don't know how often they're throwing it initially. But it was a very. It was initially done. So there's so there's that. There's that. So there was maybe some thinking as to whether or not they should do it, and it was influenced by the receiver being targeted, which technically is not part of defensive holding because. It would the it would happen before the ball was released, so it's defensive holding, and, and it happened not just being early. targeted, but the throw missing by so much. Maybe he thought Patrick Mahomes threw this way over the receiver's head, so it must have been, it must have restricted the receiver in some way. All right, let's start again. Stop, you stop with your propaganda here. I'm still, 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 still talking. So, so there's that. Number two is, um, I'm not I cannot be sure of this, but if you were going to set up a play to get a defensive holding call, like that was a pretty good play to set yep. up because yep. you had a misdirection at the line of scrimmage um where most defensive backs are going to try to be handsy in that situation. I think the problem with Bradbury is he grabbed the jersey. Like that's what he yep. if he would have just if he would have just put his arm around his waist or something like that and held him a little bit more, um, he probably could have gone away with it. But he did grab the jersey. And it also looked like Mahomes, like it was isolated on that side so the guy could see it. Like it's right there. It's right in front of the, the line judge who's over there. And Mahomes was like pointing to it. And like, what did you, did you not see that sort of thing? So all, all that is context that goes into it. So it's not as simple as like you should always make that, make that sort of flag. Sort of thing. So that that that's there's definitely some question. I definitely think refs are thinking a little bit about whether or not they want to do it. Maybe in any circumstance, though, for that type of play versus thinking about it in the context of of what's going on. Um, but the last thing that I'll say, and I don't know, like again, we're, we're I, I don't like this like ticky tack. That seems to be people's favorite thing is calling it ticky tack or not because. <laughs> A court because I don't know what a non like is like just tackling the guy non ticky like wait, like what is non ticky tack because at least according to the rules of the league here um, there is a there is like a video that talks about the video rule book and uh, nicely narrated by Rich Eisen also on here where 
it's talking about it and it has here it says and he specifically says any grab of the jersey by the defender is defensive holding you're not allowed to grab the jersey like that's almost a that's like a black and white type of situation for the call i'm not saying it always happens or not but i think people saying they were letting this go all game and now they're calling it well i don't know how many times they saw a jersey being grabbed again jerseys i'm sure jerseys were grabbed but i don't know how many times they saw a jersey being grabbed before that um so that's my case for you know this being fairly black and white and if you start deputizing officials to decide based upon context to make a call or not make a call i don't know i feel like more bad than good can come of it in some circumstance in a lot of circumstances yeah i think the context argument is a, a bad one about whether or not it should be called like yeah if if he saw that in the second quarter and thought it was a flag, then he should throw the flag. If he saw it, then he should he should throw the flag. Isn't that the main uh, argument, though? At least in some people's minds, I think. Um, but yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think there are absolutely a lot of people that made the argument. I, I think the, the 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 better context argument that it, it isn't a great context argument is just again for a neutral person that like. The, the flag at that moment had much more of an impact on the enjoyability of the game than if it yes. had come. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement there, although that's not necessarily what people are primarily saying yep. is, yep. Their, is their reason. Um, and one other thing I'll say, because I, I got this a couple of times, I guess, I don't know why, like, well, do I need to talk about Dan Orlovsky? But I have heard <laughs> this argument multiple times in a different way. Um, and I, I feel like he had a very, very bad analogy that I've heard that he used that I, I didn't actually see it myself. But it was this whole thing of, the other thing, the other thing I want to kind of swat away a little bit that I think is superfluous is the idea of they were letting them play all game until this point because they hadn't called a pass interference or a defensive holding until that point. And I'll just say that, you know, 20% of games don't have that call the entire game. Either one of those calls the entire games. 40% of games do not have a defensive holding the entire game. Um, and I guess Dan Orlovsky is part of his his spiel was saying it's like testing an umpire strike zone as to whether it's strike or ball. And then you, you have a feel for it later on in the game. I mean, if they're never being called though, so it's like, <laughs> you're not getting the feedback that you're yeah. getting from an umpire. Like a lot of these games is never being called the entire time. So does that mean you think you can just tackle someone on the last play, every play, because it's not, if it hasn't been called into that point, I think that's like totally nonsense and the and the juju smith schuster thing the fact that he was fouled earlier and it wasn't called i mean they just missed the call like isn't that more likely than they're like it's cool if you pull down a receiver's arm when he's trying to catch the ball maybe but if you're a player you don't you don't know if you got away with something because the official saw it and, and thought they were letting it go that game or because they didn't see it so i mean that was pretty bad though the juju smith schuster one he pulled down his arm like i don't you can't catch with one with one arm but maybe you're right yeah. i don't the, know i, 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 I get away with that all the time it's just it's a matter of whether your body happens to be blocking the view of whatever official is right right play. so but again well that would that would go to my point they missed it right they couldn't see yeah. it and but, i think that's yeah. another thing that people don't aren't accounting for enough here it's just like there, you're, we're not saying there were no fouls. My side, we're I, I, I'm part of the, <laughs> of, the, of the of the of the good penalty. Of wearing my Rob Lowe NFL hat. Um, I'm not saying there were no fouls into that point, but there's a difference between seeing something and not calling it, and just not seeing something. In, in the same point, I think people get a little confused there. But anyway, we're we're mostly on the same page. I wanted to see more too. Um, <laughs> Bradbury, I, just don't grab his jersey, dude. Like, why I, not that? I, why don't we just put the blame there? Uh, I, I actually think 
last year's call was a lot worse. And that, so this, this was the Rams right at the end. And like that one, I think has a much more legitimate argument of not even being a foul, but people didn't care because the Bengals still got a chance to answer. And that's what we remember is the end is the Bengals still got their chance and failed, but where here the, the, the call was easier to argue that it was correct because everyone in the world can see that the jersey got pulled, but we never got to see the Eagles get their chance. And that's going to be the, the last thing we remember from this game. Okay. What about also, I saw, I think you may have even said this, and I think this is an interesting one when it comes to the defensive holding there. Um, if you, pl- you could only, I think you could only tell players so much in the moment about the contextual stuff, right? Um, like they got a lot of things to think about. Okay. And most of what they're thinking about is not letting their, the receiver they are covering. Cause this is, this is man coverage. We're talking about here, catch the ball. Like that's what they're thinking about more than anything else. At the same point in time, do you think it's reasonable to say that there could, or you should attempt to communicate something where you're saying to the player, okay, first down is the worst case scenario here. Um, stopping them is obviously the best case scenario. Touchdown is the second best scenario. <laughs> so don't do something where they get a first down and not a touchdown. Yeah, I I think a lot of times us on the outside can be a little overzealous with like prescribing how people yes. should act in the game because you're you're not playing a video game where you can instantly send communication to all your players. But yeah. in this very case, they had the whole two-minute warning, the Chiefs ran a play, and then there was a timeout. So they had, if they wanted to, they had plenty of time to communicate if that's what they wanted to do. And right, because it wasn't just that one play; it would have applied yeah. on second down also. The same, yeah. the same. Concept. So during that two-minute warning, and if if there's a team that should be smart enough to be thinking like this, it's, it's the Eagles too. So like, somebody on that team has has to have known and thought about okay, if, if the Chiefs get a first down without scoring a touchdown, the game's basically over. So I think it's I think it would be reasonable to communicate that to the players too, where you're not saying like, I don't know the, the best way to frame this to players because you obviously you still want them to try and to prevent the chiefs from getting a first down. But at the same time, you have, they, they have to know that getting caught holding and giving the chiefs a first down is basically the end of the game. So if you're, if you think you're going to get beat and there's no safety help, then okay, fine. They score a touchdown, but that's not as bad as holding and getting caught for holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's really hard. Like, and I also think just because the player did it, we also cannot assume they didn't tell them that, right? Because, like, you can tell yeah, a player yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. and then they're just like, I mean, it's just instinctual, right? Like, yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't necessarily <laughs> stop. It's like, that's just how I play defense. And it's not necessarily something that's going to be ingrained in their mind in that sort of way. I do think maybe there's like a cool, sort of way of looking at it of like maybe you leave the end zone kind of open <laughs> in a way because <laughs> you're like getting them to throw the ball to run to, to so the clock stops if they if it's not a completion on there and you're preventing the the worst case scenario of the first down and, and no touchdown again this, this might be galaxy braining a little bit but That's basically what they did there there was nobody else over there and they <laughs> threw it to the end zone but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what they did other than the hole that they, they got yeah. caught on that. And it was a vet move. It was a vet move that you could probably get away with because I know because I also do believe and again, I don't want to get into this too much, but I do believe when you're doing a change of direction like that, it's, it's kind of like a um, it's kind of like an out and up sort of move on on a route. Like if you grab someone 
when they're coming out of their break, it doesn't have to, it doesn't really look that bad, but it can be like highly effective as far as stopping their ability to, to create separation there. So yep. I do think it was a good move, a good vet move by, by Bradbury that did not go right. Okay. We, we've talked about this stuff uh, almost ad nauseum here, but let's see, is there anything else that we have to talk about in this particular, Oh, the little score thing. I want to talk about this a little bit. I I'm of the opinion that they need to start telling these players not to get so close to the end zone on the lit it score thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like McKinnon, I don't know, man. If I'm the Eagles, I'm I'm grabbing them and just pulling them into the end zone. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like that's what I'm like. Why did they get so close to 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 almost scoring? That seemed highly dangerous to me. Yeah, you, there is a, a little bit of value in going past the first down marker because closer field goals are easier. But yeah, you definitely don't want to risk um, <laughs> scoring a touchdown and. More credits to Greg Olson, where he was very, very aware of the situation. And I think a lot of a lot of color commentators would have had no idea what was going on. But like he was very on the ball of yeah, the, the Chiefs really don't want to be scoring here. Yeah, yeah, because the Browns did that to somebody. They pulled him into the end zone. I forget who it was. I think they wasn't did that, that in like a Falcons Lions game or something? Oh, did that happen too? I, I definitely okay. know the Browns did it one time. Maybe they did it another time where they basically pulled them into the end zone. So I'd watch out for that. Like maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe do more of like, uh, if no one's, t- if no one's touched you, just hit the ground and like roll over to, to, get, to get past the first down and then just stay there. So there's no way you could be potentially uh, dragged into the end zone. Maybe that's one little tiny, tiny point that I would throw on there. Um, Okay, I want to talk a little bit about these two teams specifically because I've been talking about the teams that are getting eliminated as they've been getting eliminated and what their plan should be in the offseason and all that sort of stuff. We don't have to get into a ton of details here because uh, we've gone pretty long on the Super Bowl itself. But I want to talk about the Chiefs mostly because uh, we did a pod last year about the top NFL front offices. We, I think we gave our top five, our bottom five, and maybe a couple of over overrated, underrated sort, sort of things. So we both had the Eagles in the top five. I think we both had them as number four, although we both also said that we came up with four that were good front offices, and then we had trouble trying to figure out who our fifth was, was going to be. So they're kind of like, there's not a big separation between one and four in those scenarios. The Chiefs, we're not in either one of our top fives. I don't think we even mentioned them necessarily in the overrated, underrated sort of sort of scenario, but they're getting a lot of praise right now. Uh, uh, Eric Eager, number one Chiefs fan, uh, number one Vikings fan, pretending to be a Chiefs fan. He is like lavishing praise on Veach and everyone else is doing that there. Um, I don't know. Well, what do you think about the, the Chiefs and the job that they have done specifically and, you know, what, what you think about Veach? Yeah, so I think their moves in the last year or so have made sense. So they they saw the Tyreek Hill contract coming, got other players for him, and said, perhaps in reaction to what happened in the in the Tampa Bay Super Bowl, um, we we can't let our offensive line be terrible again. Although that was because of injuries, so it, it it's kind of weird to like completely overreact react to something where like if your tackles get injured in the playoffs, then you're kind of you're going to be kind of screwed no matter what. But it worked out for them. They rebuilt their offensive line, and they bet on Mahomes, Kelsey, Reed, and an offensive line will be able to outscore anybody, and that's exactly what happened. So I, I see why they're getting praised, but when I think of like front offices that are making decisions based on information, the, the Chiefs are not one of the organizations that comes to mind. 
Yeah, no, I'll agree. So there's 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 some things I think that they did well over this offseason specifically. Um how much and I'll also talk maybe a little bit about like how much credit can we allocate? Cause you know, I, I think I think Tyreek Hill trade was the right I mean it's almost a default right move if you can get that type of draft capital for a non-quarterback and not pay them a ton of money it's very unlikely that you're you're losing like an opportunity cost sort of thing there like like not viewing not being too locked into this idea of windows you know when we're talking yep, about yep. having having Kansas City where I think they maybe were a little bit too locked into that in prior years um but this year not being as much but at the same point in time I don't know how much they wanted to sign him to a big deal. They just couldn't quite get there. And then Hill wanted to leave. Like that's part of it. But we talked about it a little bit with Jamal Adams, right? Like how much credit do we give Joe Douglas <laughs> for the Jamal Adams trade when Jamal Adams wanted to get out of town, right? Yeah. Or the Seahawks for Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> or the Seahawks for Russell Wilson. Well, Pete Carroll has been, he's had a master plan for a decade to, to, piss, to piss off Russell Wilson and get him out of town. So maybe we should give him, give him some credit there. So, so, so Hill, you know, I think it was kind of like no brainer, good trade in the long term. So I think that that but a lot of people wouldn't necessarily you could have made him play. You could have forced him to stay and then play and done that whole thing. So that's that's interesting. Um, I think the best thing that they did this season is, again, somewhat a reversal on what on how they had viewed windows, because if you look at Patrick Mahomes's contract when he signed that absurd 10 year deal. His cap hits coming out of that, the way they structured it, $5.3 million the first year in 2020, $7.4 million in 2021. This last year, it jumped up to $35.8 million. So, you know, a 30, almost $30 million jump here. And they didn't restructure it. Like they could have restructured it clearly. Like they could just restructuring this thing left and right. So they didn't restructure it. They stuck with it. They traded Tyreek Hill. I thought it was really, really great that they weren't doing this all in window type of thing. And I'll give them credit for that. And I'm glad the results came through too to show, hey, you know, it's not always about maximizing your potential to win that very much next year, which is really a marginal difference a lot of the times for these things. Yep. And then sacrificing the future is not always the ways, way to go. The fact that they could bank a championship in this type of year um, is really powerful. And, and, and it was good that they were willing to do that. Yeah. If, if you have a 27 year old quarterback, who's the best quarterback in the league, then yeah, it, it makes sense to try to be good for a very long time and just always be in the mix and hope that things break your way one, one year, which is, what ended up happening this year. Yeah. And they did, they did not um, extend Orlando Brown too, who I think his, his value has probably gone down year over year. Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't think he, he looked great. Um, they brought in a bunch of mid tier receiving options. Um, so I think that was pretty good. Uh, I, I'm not in love with the, uh, with the Kadarius Tony trade necessarily, but you know, he did something in the Super Bowl, So we'll talk about that. We won't talk about his 170 receiving yards during the regular season. Um, so, so I think that looks good there. So yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I guess I'm with you. I still don't know if I believe there's a consistent um, process based reliability for the decisions that they will make going forward. Yep. Totally with you. Okay. And Eagles, any, any, any change up or down based upon, 
what they did this season um, or additional notes that you, any way that you view them even differently from how you viewed them a year ago? I don't think so. Um, maybe we should, it's hard to know like how much they predicted ahead of time, uh, given what we know now, but like maybe we should be giving them even more credit for the AJ Brown trade than we did at the time where it's kind of like what the bills did with stuff on digs where, you have this young quarterback, you need to find out if he's the guy or not. So let's put as much around him as we can and see if he's the guy or not. And it having <laughs> turns out having AJ Brown really helped uh, Jalen Hurts, who, yes, he, he got a lot better, but it also helps to have a lot of great receiving options. So I, I um, like usually the nerds are pretty against sending first round picks for players that need to be paid. But I, I think in this circumstance, um, it made sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think probably just as like a heuristic, I may not have been as high on that trade as a lot of other people were because a lot of stuff we talked about as far as like non-quarterbacks, paying them, giving up picks, things like that. It makes it a lot easier when you have Jalen Hurts on the contract that he has. Um, He's a lot younger than Hill and Devontae Adams, which were, you know, Devontae Adams was definitely a trade. I was much, much, much lower on uh, making that for the Raiders than this trade. Uh, I also think it's a it was a good signal in a way to say we drafted a receiver 10th 10th overall yeah yeah in in the draft we have dallas goddard who luckily you don't have to pay tight ends that much for them so they really they, they they're in a great situation there with goddard but still you know goddard's a solid guy i do think it's it was is a good and this is what a lot of teams are learning. Like there are a lot of teams who are like, oh, I think we have the receiver position filled. And then midway through the season, like, oh my God, it's a, it's a disaster <laughs> out here with receivers of just being willing to just pour resources into the most important areas and not really care if you have like some form of duplication there. Yeah. And it also helps them that they have this Ponzi scheme of first round draft picks where they somehow they always just have extra first round picks flying around due to Carson Wentz or trading with the Saints or however they happen to obtain them. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the Carson Wentz Ponzi scheme. We'll see if that can Maybe we have another. Maybe we'll have another, <laughs> another layer. Someone's still left. There's still the multi-level marketing is going on. They're going to have to get uh, – yeah, commanders are kind of at the bottom, though, I would say, of the sucker chain when we talk about the, the multi-level marketing. But maybe they can find someone else, get them to the CFL or something, and, and make some money off of there. Um, Jalen Hurts. That's probably the one question, right? Do you have, you have any, I mean, this is, it's all contingent on like how much you can sign him for, but I don't think this is, you know how like teams don't care about burning money, but you know how they'll probably end up happening with Sirianni and Roseman again this season or, or Veach and, and Andy Reid, Andy Reid I'm fine with. Um, but you know, how, like teams, when they have their best results, they go and like give their, uh, coach and GM a, a new six year contract <laughs> and then like fire him two years later. Um, this is, this is definitely <laughs> buying high on Hertz, no matter what, right? Like no matter how much you love him, um, you got to give him a $50 million plus contract right now. And you don't have the fifth year option. So you're already in franchise tag territory for next season. And it's going to be your story the entire off season if you don't resign him. So what Ben Baldwin, what, what you say here, because you, you can't, you can't give him a deal where you're going to be able to credibly uh, cut ties with him for more than, I don't know, five, six years, probably. Yeah. Although as you have pointed out repeatedly, the <laughs> when teams commit to quarterbacks, 
and we say they can't get out of them these deals for a long time. If they really want to get out of the deals, they can. I mean, and we saw this even with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and they Russell, had they had better Russell contracts Wilson. though. I will say they had a little bit like th there's been a step up in the contract. I mean, let's just look at Kyler Murray. So I'll look at Kyler as an example here. So here's the problem yeah. with Kyler Murray's deal. He, he has these rolling the guarantees. He has these rolling guarantees where even in 2026, so that will be the one, two, three, four, five, the fifth year of his contract on March 22nd, the base salary, which is only 19 million for 2027 kicks in. So like even for Kyler Murray, that's one, two, three, four, five. The, 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 the soonest you can cut him and not just get completely destroyed. Like there's no way you can cut him uh, because you'll be taking a cap hit. If you cut him earlier, you'd be taking a cap hit of like $70 million um, <laughs> is really after five seasons. So I guess I, it, it, there's a little bit more protection built into these deals with the rolling guarantees than there was for Wentz and golf, but go ahead. Sorry. Continue. That, that, so at least if OTC is right, if the Cardinals traded him sometime after this year, it would be like $13 million in dead money. So yes, they would have to find a trade partner, but Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're right. There is the there is a trade partner. There is the trade partner angle who'd be willing to pay him. Back. But also the OTC stuff, it gets a little confusing because the numbers don't incorporate. I don't think it matters here because we're talking about a trade. Um, but if you're looking at cutting and cap savings, like those numbers don't aren't right because yeah. of the rolling guarantees. Because they're only they're only accounting for the rolling guarantees that are currently affected. Um, but you're right. You you could trade. That that's a good that's a good thing. Should, should you I guess they could think about structuring in some way to potentially have a trade out at a certain point. Yeah, and that's even even if it doesn't work out and the Eagles decide to move on, all, all it takes is one team willing to trade for him. One Washington Commanders or Indianapolis Colts or somebody to take him off your hands and I think what what we have learned in recent years is that like there's there's always some team that needs a quarterback that is willing to talk themselves into almost any quarterback, even Carson Wentz. <laughs> uh, okay. So in, in terms of yeah, so in terms of extending him, they're they're either going to have to play the franchise tag game or give him a deal that is probably commensurate. Like he was in the MVP race legitimately for most of the season until he got hurt and is yeah. I mean, he was like, second. He was second in the yeah. voting. So yeah. And you like you can point to his surroundings, and they were very good. But he also like he adds a lot of value with his rushing threat, which we'll see. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. But as, right now, he's young and healthy. Wants his shoulder heals, and should still be expected to be a top ish quarterback going forward. So I, I don't see what alternative the Eagles have to pay him, paying him, and then if it goes south, try to <laughs> unload him on someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also an interesting thing with Hertz where if you do extend him, you're going to have like a two year window where maybe his cap hits are lower, but yep. Yep. you also have with the Eagles here, I'm looking, um, they got a lot of like, they, they, they're, they're really using up the void, the void. Years. <laughs> they gotta, you have guys like Jason Kelsey, you know, who's going to retire, but then he's going to be, there's going to be like a bunch of dead cap for him. And then, Javon Hargrave has a void on there. Brandon Graham has a void on there. James Bradbury has a small void on there. So there's a lot of players who like they don't have they don't have signed beyond this year, yeah. but they're going to be paying in some form with these void years. That I don't know. I think it'll be interesting for the Eagles to see whether or not it's next year or the year after. Perhaps they try to figure out like when they can do a bit of a 
reshuffling, you know, type of situation, a down year as far as like maxing out their cap spending and their talent um, to clean some of this up in conjunction with the fact that Jalen Hurts' contract is going to go is going to go way up. What do you think about the idea of maybe trading um, someone like Devonte Smith in the future? Yeah, before he needs his payday. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what their cap situation looks like at that point. Like, if if, if they think that they're not going to have the room to pay him, then it would make sense. Although I, I would be somewhat nervous having AJ Brown is my only real top receiver just because he, like he's never been on the field for a, a high portion of snaps. And like, you want to make sure he's always at a hundred percent to the extent possible. So it, it would make me a little bit nervous, but like if, if you're offered a first round pick instead of having to pay him 25 million or whatever, then that, again, like just like we talked about with the Tyreek Hill thing, it's, it's hard to say no to. Yeah, it's probably not this season, but I do think if you want if you want to schedule like a bit of a um, reshuffling, not twenty twenty three, but twenty twenty four, that could be interesting. I, I think teams, when you're paying a quarterback a lot of money, I do think teams need to think a lot about using wide receivers, especially if you have a good quarterback and you have wide receivers who are putting up good numbers. Um, using turning over the wide receivers a little bit more often before paying them and just investing in the draft, just continually investing in the draft to, to use it that sort of way um, is an interesting potential for, for them. Okay. Let's talk Seahawks real fast here. Uh, I don't want to keep you for, for too much longer. So you're, are you, are you okay with Gino going forward? So I, I think he, so he's, probably an average ish NFL starting quarterback, which is not nothing. Yes. And Wait, in a lot of look up to see where he is on the ringer, on the ringer quarterback. <laughs> that's the most authoritative like fringe view. top 10 ish ringer quarterback ratings. Oh, wait, where is it? Oh, he's 11. I, he must've gone down. I could have sworn he was higher than this. What's going on here. Jalen hurts is moving up is moved up so rapidly. Uh, I think he was in the twenties to start the season. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah. So like fringe, fringe top ten ish quarterback, which is not nothing. In in most cases, teams I, I like average 10. better than fringe top ten. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. In, in most cases, I would I would say that the team doesn't really have much of a choice to extend him because the alternative options aren't great. And this is like the the Titans with Tannehill or the the Vikings with Cousins or the Raiders with Derek Carr. Like all of those extensions, I was okay with at the time because the the team didn't really have great alternatives. But the difference here is that the Seahawks have a top five pick in a draft with a lot of quarterback prospects. So mm-hmm. the the alternative for the Seahawks is very different than the typical team that is making a decision about a older starting quarterback. So because of this, I think that the basically they're they're deciding between using top five pick on a on a good quarterback prospect plus whatever they can get for Geno Smith, which they would probably tag him and trade him. And I, I would guess they could get something out of that. That's option A. <laughs> Kevin's making faces here. I don't know about um, <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Option B is to pay him a lot of money and, and use the, the number five pick on what would probably presumably be a pass rusher or some sort of defensive lineman. And I, I think given the upside of a quarterback on a rookie contract especially given that you lucked into this pick in a draft where there are quarterback prospects i think it makes a lot more sense to 
do that. And I also think there's a 1% chance that that's what the Seahawks actually do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, hey, they have their running back. Okay. They got, they, they got their running back solved. So they don't have to worry about anything else. Okay. How about this? I got an idea for you. How about transition tag? Um, and is this the one where the, the someone needs to send two first round picks to no no that's the non-exclusive uh franchise tag so the transition tag and i, oh, I could this be is complete... the match match the offer one yeah yeah okay <laughs> i could be completely messing this up how it works but my my belief is you save a few bucks right it's 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 29 million um for the transition tag and for me, the way I see it, tell me if you agree with this or not. I think Geno Smith's value to the Seahawks is much higher than his potential theoretical value um, when factoring in like confidence and how good you think he'll be to another team. So if you transition tag him, maybe you realize at that point, hey, wait a second, like this guy's not getting like $30 million a year sort of offers from anyone else. And then you can use that leverage to actually negotiate down because you're giving him a window into the fact that free agency may not be as lucrative as, as he as he's going to think it is as part of his negotiation stand. Yeah. So this is the great unknown is how other teams other than the Seahawks value him. And yeah. If, what if, if Steve Ruiz a gets a GM job in this offseason and but, he and Greg Rosenthal are, 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 are GM somewhere and they're offering him 50 million a year? I, I think there, there, there are teams that would definitely, uh, you would definitely make a difference for it. Like, can you imagine the Jets this past season if they had Geno Smith? <laughs> right. But if they have, um, if you have Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, yeah. who else is out there? There's other guys out there, whoever, whoever else is out there. Like if you have those guys and I think the jets are an attractive place for a quarterback to go to, or do you want Geno Smith before you want those guys? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I think I would probably be. And is the jets like the history? To, yeah, anything else? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think I would be probably close to indifferent between those guys. Jimmy G would worry me just because he's like, I don't prone? think he, I don't think he's bad but he's just always injured so he's That's not Sh it's Shanahan's <laughs> fault we know that Shanahan just goes out there all his quarterbacks, quarterbacks and running backs yes. are yeah. always so injured. now we yeah. now, now we have a sample that everyone gets injured there not just but, Jimmy yeah yeah there, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks but there's also a lot of available quarterbacks plus teams that will be drafting quarterbacks so yeah it'll there'll definitely be some musical chairs this season that will be interesting. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting exercise. I think I would do it honestly. If I were the if I were the Seahawks, I would transition tag him, um, or you know non exclusive tag him. But whatever. I like the transition tag. Transition tag him, and then look hard at a quarterback at number five. The problem is like you just don't know. Like the draft comes. Unlike the NBA, the draft comes yeah. after all of the free agency and all of the veteran sort of stuff. Yep. So you, you you can't go in naked into 2023 with no one and then not be able to get the core, a, a quarterback you want in the draft. And then, you know, you got you got Drew Locke out there <laughs> and Pete Carroll. They'll drive Pete Carroll into into retirement. Um because the thing with Gino, okay, tell me if I, tell me if I'm wrong on this. 
there's too many different biases out there, but I feel like it was a primacy bias. Whatever is the one where your initial impression is the strongest <laughs> impression. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're suffering from that for Gino. Like I, I get recency bias is like the thing that everyone talks about, but I feel like for Gino, if you ask people like where he finished the year in terms of his grading or his EPA per play or how good he was in the second half of the season. I think a lot of people are just remembering the fact that he's like, Oh, he was playing like a top five quarterback, right. Or yeah. top 10 quarterback. And they don't realize that it was more like a quarterback in the twenties, the second half of the season. Yeah. And more than half. It was like, he had a great first five games of the season. And then the, yeah. yeah. However, let's see. 13 being games. Yeah. The being last generous. 13 games were, Less and he's like throwing the Tyler Lockett <clears throat> and DK Metcalf. You know, it's not like chopped liver up there or something. Yeah, that if I were another team, I think that would be the greatest concern would be how how well what he did or the extent to which what he did this season translates to another environment where he doesn't have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And we even saw it when Tyler Lockett got hurt and when um, Abe Lucas, their right tackle, got hurt. The offense just could not do anything. Um, I think that was in December or something. And they're like all quarterbacks are sensitive to their surroundings to some extent, but I, I think that would definitely give me pause. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to seem like too much of a Geno hater, even though I am slightly, um, <laughs> I'm saying pay him $30 million. I mean, geez, Geno, take it. Um, okay. One other thing I'll say with the Seahawks and then maybe I get your impression on this. And this relates to Geno too, before I let you get out of here is like, yeah, they made the playoffs. But, like, what is their path to be, like, a sustainable playoff team going forward? I guess the NFC stinks. So that's probably your best bet for, for that happening. Um, but can you even think about further kind of retooling, I guess they would say, rather than rebuilding? And how does that affect your perception of what to do with a lot of different players? Yeah, I think their only real path to improving is hitting on another draft like they did last year. And they have the picks to do it, so... They still have the the Broncos' first two picks, which are picks what five and thirty six or something, with the Dolphins not having a first round pick. So, like those are two good picks, and the Seahawks have their own picks. So, if they hit on another draft like they did this past year, then their roster will be in much better shape than it was a couple years ago. But at the same time, if, if you look at their games, they played the 49ers three times, and it was it's just very obvious that those two teams are in such a different world from each other and. That's also true for the the Cowboys and the Eagles that they didn't play against, but are about as good as the 49ers. And um, it, it's unless they really, really hit on a draft or if Geno Smith from September 2022 comes back or they draft a quarterback who's really good, which is not going to happen. Um, it, it's hard to see them breaking into the top tier. Of, uh, are you really that Eagles. confident that they won't draft someone? Because, I mean, remember, uh, the, all the stories were that Schneider was, you know, gaga over <laughs> – uh, Josh Allen back in the day, maybe like a Will Levis type or someone like that who can really sling it. So I think if they drafted somebody, it would be with like one of the second round picks or something like that. So yeah, maybe, maybe they tag Gino and use a second round pick on a quarterback, but like Pete Carroll is a defensive guy. The defense is his baby and their defense was just terrible last year. So I would be pretty surprised if they didn't use their, um, a lot of their high picks on, improving their pass rush and stopping yeah, their run. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a generational defensive tackle in this draft that they can take in number five. Um, any, any quick words on Russ before Russ and Sean Payton before, before we get out of here, what, what, what's your feeling on 
Because I think people are pretty low on his chance to bounce back. Um, not not that there aren't like people saying we think it can bounce back, but there's not really like enthusiasm, I would say, around that opinion. Yeah, the the Sean Payton thing is interesting. Where like there was this this discussion of, around him when uh, the Broncos traded for him, which sounds weird to say about a coach, and they're like they're going back to the uncertainty about coaches discussion. Like there are a lot of people who are very, very, very sure that Sean Payton is a great coach. And that could be the case, but the evidence that people give is always like, oh, he had a great offense every year with the Saints. But he also had Drew Brees, who whose offenses were very good in, in um, San Diego before he went to the Saints. So it's like, if we're just saying that Sean Payton is a good coach because they had a good offense when they have like a, a very, very top echelon Hall of Fame quarterback, I, I think that's not that convincing. So uh, hey, he, he developed. <laughs> he developed Taysom. He developed. Yeah, he was going to be the next, the next big thing, <laughs> the next Steve Young, I believe. But okay, go ahead. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty skeptical, and I probably would not have traded a, that much draft capital for a head coach, but but we'll see. <laughs> what about Russ? Just generally, do you think? His 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 cookedness, especially in terms of mobility, you think there's something real there? So I don't know if it's mobility as much as like all the injuries on his body parts that throw the football. So he look <laughs> at technical with me. I guess I'll get technical with it. So he he broke his it was like his middle finger on his throwing hand. I think in 2021 did not look the same after that had a whole off season to heal. And then in like the third game of the season, yeah, he was doing 20 hours of physical therapy a day. that, so (laughs) Like tore his shoulder and like, just never looked like himself. So if I were the Broncos, the thing I'd be most concerned about would be like his, his, for as much as we laud his scrambling and improvisation and stuff like that, like his, his best trait probably was his accuracy and deep ball and that that was just never there in Denver so the the big concern is that all the injuries have taken this toll on him and he'll just never be the same guy again if, if you want to be optimistic then I guess you'd hope that with another offseason to rest um he'll he'll get better but I I think it's possible that we'll just never see that accurate version of Russell Wilson again yeah I don't know man like I like I want to say he's gonna come back but like I, I there's just this like very intense kind of guttural feeling that maybe not i don't know i i'm kind of in the boat with some people there that it would, i guess it wouldn't shock me uh because this looks so bad like there's just no there's not even a hint of a way out there so all right well ben thank you so much for joining me i know i kept you a little bit long here uh before you go though i just want to say for ben and sebastian and tan and everyone that's worked with the NFL verse and getting all of that data there, incredible stuff. I mean, even now I'm getting into like the contract stuff and other stuff. Basically, like I'd just be a hobo right now <laughs> if, not, if not for the availability of this data and to use it and to, to put it out onto the Substack. So, so thanks for so much for that, man. Any, anything you want to plug on, on the way out here? Uh, nope. Glad glad the data is useful. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of data sources. So check out whatever the website's called NFL is it nflverse.com i think it might be and then if you go uh, there there's nflverse yes.com and then if so okay so for anyone listening if you go to uh nl oh yeah nlverse.com click on oh let's see wait functions but well, somewhere there's a list of functions that has all the possible data sources and you, you might see something 
interesting if you want to uh, poke around with it. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, if you want to talk about the other stuff, it's like the NFL Faster, NFL Reader. Those are probably the primary primary ones that you're going to go to. And if you just look that stuff up. Oh, packages and more on the on the upper on the right-hand side. So you bring that oh, down, you'll see all right. the stuff there. You see yeah, all so the stuff there. What are the great examples that you've even put there? You can just copy and paste and start getting to work. So what I was thinking of was the NFL Reader website. So it's nflreader.nflreaders.com. If you go there and click on functions, then there's just this big list of functions that are arranged by uh, what types of data they bring in. And then you can see what we have. There's, there's a lot now. Some stuff I didn't even know about until I look at this page. Yeah, yeah. No, this has been awesome. I mean, the participation data going back to 2016 has been extremely helpful for me. And again, like I mentioned, I'm using the trade and contract stuff now to try to like isolate free agency and other things like that, how players are doing. So just just hugely, hugely, hugely useful and, um, you know, a benefit, a huge benefit to, to everyone out there. You know, I, I mean, I'll just say it right here. I mean, I remember this thing of we're talking about like making an impact and what people are doing. I mean, the work that you and others have done with this is going to make a much bigger impact than, you know, anyone like firing off their takes um, <laughs> football takes, trying to teach people how to, how to do stuff out there. So thank you so much for that. And then also visit, you know, our, bsdm.com for box scores and other stuff like that. Not you might need to work on the marketing there with the with the <laughs> website name, but also great information there available that people have used. I, I see it come up in articles and again, great public free stuff that you're putting out there. Where I think you're just sucking us in, and eventually, like a good drug dealer, you're gonna, you're gonna make us pay uh, eventually. But I, I'm definitely hooked for one. Some people pay, and I'm I'm very grateful for them because I don't want to pay my own server costs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have to I have to start kicking you guys some 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 dollars for sure on that. Now that I'm using that versus everything at PFF. But all right, man, thanks so much for the time and discussing everything. I'll get you on hopefully uh, later on this offseason, maybe post draft, and we'll talk. We'll rank our front offices and all that sort of stuff. People love the rankings, and we'll do that. But until then, thanks, man. Thanks.